Okay, welcome everyone. We welcome uh, several new people, so welcome to you. And um, <clears throat> I have a story uh, to tell, a little story to tell at the beginning of the talk. And um, it's a, it relates to um, a memorial service that I went to a few years ago uh, at San Francisco Zen Center. And this is a memorial service for Lou Hartman. Did you know Lou? Heard of him. Maybe, I'm sure uh, Todd uh, knew Lou. And uh, anyway, Lou was quite a character and he was uh, the husband of uh, Blanche Hartman who was served for a time as, as Abbott um, at San Francisco Zen Center. And, uh, you know, Lou was a character, as they say, and he was very much loved by a lot of people. And uh, one of those people was Norman Fisher, uh, the writer and teacher. Uh, and uh, so uh, Norman eulogized um, Lou at this memorial service. And he spoke, of course, very lovingly uh, about Lou. Uh, but he also had some some feedback for Lou, which is kind of unusual <laughs> at a memorial service to give the recently departed some feedback. <laughs> but uh, Norman is nothing if not bold and uh, honest in his presentation. So the story uh, he told about uh, Lou was that, um, you know, Lou had was around Zen Center for decades. And I'm sure he gave um, Dharma talks, you know, during the course of his time there. But as, as time went on, the story was that um, he would, um, someone would come and ask him, now, would you give the Dharma talk? Will you give a Dharma talk? And uh, he, he would say, no, I really, I really can't give, I can't really give a Dharma talk right now because I've had, I've had, a new insight. I've had in, a new insight into the Buddha Dharma, and it's totally changed my thinking. And I'm still incorporating this insight, and I really can't talk right now. And so, you know, of course, people would, whoever came, would accept that explanation and go away. Uh, but then, of course, they think, somebody would think. Well, you know, he's had some time now to incorporate that insight, so let's go back and, and, and ask him again. And uh, he, they would go back and, and he would say, you know, I've just had this new insight into the Buddha Dharma and I'm still incorporating it and I really can't talk right now. And so uh, this was apparently uh, his uh, way of, mm, you know, saying no. Yeah, it, this was his dodge. Um, and, uh, you know, Norman spoke, you know, very highly about Lou. And one of the things, one of the things he said was that uh, when they practiced together at, at Tassajara, Lou uh, would be like the first hit of the Han. He would be on his way to the Zendo. He would just be like the first person in the Zendo for each period. By the way, that reminds me of something that happened this evening. We have a bell that we hit five minutes before seven. And um, if you're out in the foyer talking, which is fine, 
that bell means wrap the conversation up. Not, not doesn't mean bell rang, ignore bell, uh, continue with conversation. It means, oh, bell rang, uh, wrap up conversation and go in and take your seat. So, uh, please, you know, I know it's been a long time since we have practiced together here, but that is, that's what the bell is for. So uh, we have the great, our great ancestor, Lou, who was that kind of practitioner. He heard the bell and he went to the Zendo. So we can follow his example. But uh, anyway, I heard this story about, about Lou and his way of responding to these invitations to, the, to give a Dharma talk. And I, I, felt, I felt great sympathy with him. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I often wonder, you know, is, 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 is I'm, am I really ready to give, you know, based on my understanding, uh, to give a, 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 a an explication, you know, a, 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 or give some kind of a talk? Am, am I really, am I really going to get down? Am I, am I going to cut to the bone? You know, am I really going to cut to the bone and, and present something that, um, speaks to the perfection of wisdom you know it's a big responsibility and uh i think it's natural you know not to feel up to that responsibility um and but you know on the other hand i would i would be you know somewhat suspicious of a teacher who kind of got up and represented that they had the you know the buddha dharma firmly in hand firmly in their grasp and and now I'm I'm going to give it to you, you know. So I would be I would be less, you know, a little wondering about such a presentation. I think I think uh the uh <clears throat> it's it's appropriate. It's appropriate to have uh a a questioning attitude, questioning of yourself, questioning of the, the Dharma, and some uncertainty about you know, what is the right uh, way to talk about it? And, but I think also that Lou uh, must have known he was in good company uh, because we have the example of Bodhidharma uh, when the emperor came and uh, asked him, who is this facing me? And Bodhidharma says, I don't know. And we have... Um, Another example of uh, a teacher named uh, Disong, and he, he said uh, in a dialogue, he said uh, the punchline, not knowing, not being sure is most intimate. Not knowing is most intimate or not knowing is nearest. Sometimes it's translated, not knowing is nearest. So, you know, when Zen, Zen masters say uh, they don't know, it's not just, uh, it's just, it, it's not just modesty, and it's also not, um, you know, ignorance. Uh, they're trying to, con they're trying to convey uh, this sense that, um, you know, the, the Buddha Dharma is a multifaceted jewel. And any time uh, one presents it 
one can only present, you know, one face of the jewel. And so uh, that kind of, that kind of, somehow that kind of understanding or that kind of presentation it seems to be most appropriate or most, most, it's, it's nearest, it's nearest uh, to just, to just present one facet and not represent that you're, you know, you've got somehow the whole, the whole world in your hand, as they say. So I made up this, I made up this um, uh, quote from the Diamond Sutra. In other words, I, I didn't look it up in the Diamond Sutra. I made it up as if it was in the Diamond Sutra. And so just understand that. That's, again, kind of, you know, telling you that it's just this way of talking. But this quote goes like this. How does a bodhisattva understand the Dharma? He understands by not standing in understanding. Just so a bodhisattva understands the Dharma. A bodhisattva understands by not standing in understanding. <laughs> the quote from the Diamond Sutra? Yes. <laughs> a little slower. <laughs> How does a bodhisattva understand the Dharma? He understands by not standing in understanding. Not being fixed in understanding. Not having a fixed understanding. Just so a bodhisattva understands the Dharma. So this is kind of, if you're familiar with the language of the Diamond Sutra, this is kind of the, the way that language is presented. So, you know, get, getting up in the seat um, is, is a big responsibility and you have to, uh, you know, what I think you have to do anyway is, is uh, you know, not not present something that that leans so far into an understanding that it, it appears that you're representing absolute truth or or the way things really are because it's almost you you almost can never you can never hit that mark and the traditional you know workaround for this problem of of not being able to give a holistic presentation is to uh, present a metaphor. This is the traditional workaround, and this is this, this is what the, the uh, stories in the Blue Cliff Record and the Book of Serenity are all about uh, metaphors um, to help us understand without getting some kind of uh, a heavy explanation laid on us. <clears throat> and sometimes, uh, for me, uh, sometimes I've had uh, metaphors 
that I've been able to present that came in dreams. And those are the best kind for me. Uh, when I can bring forward a metaphor that arose, you know, from my, my own dream life, my own life somehow. Uh, the next best way is to um, uh, have a case um, from that you're that you've been that you've read sometime in your life or you've heard you've heard presented sometime in some other Dharma talk. Have that case uh, uh, come into your zazen, and uh, in this for this particular talk, uh, you know you're trying to construct. I was trying to make a talk, right? I have to make a talk, and uh, I have the problem of making the talk, and uh, I kind of wanted to start with a story about Lou, but then where was I going to take it? And so I'm kind of, you know, this is this is on my this is in my consciousness, and in that case, this this case that I'm about to bring you um, is the one that appeared. First, there was another case that I that I kind of intellectually thought maybe would be a good case to bring forward, but this case came in Zazen, and I thought I better look at that case. That case seems like it might be the one to bring out. And then when I read that case, I thought, wow, that was really the one that that's that was that was the gift to me from. Yeah, from anywhere from bigger than me. So uh, this story I'm going to bring out is uh, called uh, Yan, Yan Guan's Rhinoceros. I see a look of recognition from uh, Oscar. I see a nod from Larry. So some people have heard this case before. It's a pretty famous case. Uh, it's both in the Blue Cliff Record and in the Book of Serenity. And you can also read it in Andy Ferguson's Zen's Chinese Ancestors. So well-known case, and it goes like this, very short. One day, Yan Guan called to his attendant, bring me the rhinoceros horn fan. Bring me the rhinoceros horn fan. The attendant said, the fan is broken. Broken. Yangguan said then, if the fan is broken, bring me the rhinoceros. The attendant had no reply. As I say, this was a famous case and uh, it, Apparently, the word got around in China about this case really quickly, because even as it's presented in the in, in Blue Cliff Record and the Book of Serenity, it has immediate comments by four different Zen masters. Uh, that's in, actually included in the case, their comments on this story. Uh, and all of the comments are puzzling, uh, but but uh, the one that's uh, was least puzzling to me and 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 actually seemed to hit the mark for me best was a uh, 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 Zen master uh, Totzu. Uh, by the way, Yangguan is a disciple of Matsu. I don't know. So very famous Zen master Matsu had 
I don't know. Some people say he had 80 enlightened disciples. I don't know, but he had a lot. And if you read in, in uh, Zen's Chinese ancestors, they say, oh, this guy was a, answer, a disciple of Matsu, and this other guy was, and this other guy, and so on and so on. So a disciple of Yangon is a disciple of Matsu. I don't know. I didn't look up Tozu to see whose disciple he was. But anyway, Tozu has this comment. He says, I do not fear to bring it out. I do not fear to bring it out, but I fear the horn on its head will be imperfect. And then the poet, uh, Sui Dao, who in the Blue Cliff Record is the one who writes the poet, the poem to illustrate the case. The poem, uh, the poet says, in response to Sui Dao and to this case, first Sui Dao says, I fear to bring it out. Because basically, I, I'm, a fear, I'm afraid that, you know, what I have to say really won't hit the mark. And uh, Sui Dao says, I want an imperfect horn. I want an imperfect horn. Very good. Yeah, somebody, somebody, one of the, that's interesting, I did that because one of the, one of the, uh, uh, Zen masters heard this story and he clapped three times. That must have sunk into my <laughs> unconscious there. So, you know, when I when I when I heard that, I was wishing that the person who went to Lou and asked him for his talk had said, "Lou, we want your incomplete understanding. That's what we're looking for. We don't really care." If it's all nicely polished and perfected, we'd actually just like to see you now as you are this moment with the imperfect that and, and you can tell everybody this is my imperfect understanding. Because everybody wants to see an imperfect understanding. That's what we want. We actually not so interested in a perfect, polished, all wrapped up in a bow understanding. We just want people to come forward as they are, presenting themselves honestly and directly and imperfectly. And when people are willing to do that, we say, thank you. Say thank you for being willing to do that, for being willing to share your you know, imperfect understanding, your 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 uh, that's 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 not that's not based on your latest insight. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, I was thinking about it, then, you know, we have this kind of problem in, 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 uh, um, in Zen because um, even though, you know, 
Tosu said, "We want. I want an imperfect horn. One of the one of the main teachings that that's important teachings in for, for Zen students is uh, to to know and practice the perfections. The perfections. So the perfections of giving, morality, patience, enthusiasm, zazen, perfection of zazen." meditation and the perfection of wisdom so but we shouldn't be confused we shouldn't be confused even when we hear many talks and many presentations on the perfections we shouldn't be confused to think uh, anything else but what is meant is here are some perfect unsurpassable teachings here here is here here is a, uh, a a teaching that here is a teaching that can't be beat you can't really get any better you know as a teaching than giving ethics patience enthusiasm for all these practices Practice of Zazen, practice of, you know, the perfection of wisdom. You can't, you can't really, these are wonderfully, can't be beat teachings. But it, you know, we, that, that doesn't mean that we become perfect in order to, in order to realize those teachings. We take those teachings in over and over again into uh, a effective and uh, and limited understanding into our into our limited understanding and our willingness to take it into our limited those teachings those perfect they are perfect they are unsurpassed they are can't be beat teachings. Um, meet meet uh you know a human being a flawed human being and that meeting it, willingness our willingness to have that meeting with 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 those teachings even though you know we have a lot of trouble and we have a lot of problems and we don't feel worthy and so on but our willingness to meet those teachings is like the I was reading I'm reading the grapes of wrath in Spanish right now and uh, the, the the characters was were um, asiento cuchillo they were sitting on edge they were sitting I couldn't figure this out they were sitting on a knife no they were sitting on a on edge you know so Anyway, that, that phrase just came to, came to my mind, but uh, you know, it's that edge, that that meeting place, that meeting place of uh, our uh, imperfect realization, our imperfect practice, and these teachings, uh, which can't be beat, which are unsurpassed, and this is a this is this is a dynamic meeting place, and. Uh, a wonderful meeting place and uh, a meeting place that 
you know, we can, we can uh, have, you know, we can, we can um, enjoy in Zazen. And enjoy such a meeting place. In the story, uh, there's no uh, indication uh, that uh, the student was responsible or the attendant was responsible for breaking the fan. It's like, it didn't say he broke the fan. The fan was already broken. And the fan, the, you know, the broken fan is where we start in practice. We start, we start from that place of oftentimes, I mean, almost everybody starts from some sense of brokenness. And uh, this is something that we, you know, meant, you know, we think, you know, this is very common. We think I'm broken and maybe, and maybe this practice will, will fix me. And, you know, so many people approach practice in that way, approach practice as, I certainly approach practice that way. When I started, something's missing here. Something's wrong. My relationships don't work. Um, I need some, I need to fix. I need to fix this. And uh, so many of us start from that sense of broken pain. But uh, Yan Guan says, "Never mind." Bring me the rhinoceros. Bring me. So there's there's, there's another there's another approach to 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 practice, is um, to approach um, from a trust trust in some original wholeness some original unbrokenness, some original integrity that has nothing to do with, that is independent of all of our failures uh, and is, is, is simply um, the idea of who we are at some level that we can't see directly. So there's a possibility of, of um, uh, starting from or, or maybe you don't start, but gradually, gradually beginning to accept and trust the idea that there is some original wholeness, some original integrity, trust in that. And uh, to begin to start hmm, practicing in that place. The teachers, teachers 
uh, are often asking us, bring me, bring me, show me, present to me your unadorned, original, perfect self. Show that to me. Bring me that. They're, they're asking us to bring them that. And we're going, oh, no, not me. No, I don't, I don't have that. I can't bring that. And so, uh, you know, little by little, you know, we, instead of, instead, they ask us to bring them the rhinoceros, but instead we bring them all our problems, right? That's, that's what we do. We, we, bring, we bring the teachers all, all of our brokenness. And we, we do that. I mean, that's what, and many teachers, that's what they're going to spend their, you know, most of their time talking is, and that's fine. And that's fine. Because really, what this practice is, is, is this meeting place. This meeting place between, between brokenness, between this idea of the broken fan and, and one teacher in the, in his response in the story is that, uh, you know, I said, Totsu said, I want, I want to see an imperfect uh, horn. And another teacher's response was, he, I don't know if he did this in the air or, or he did it on a piece of paper, but he drew a circle and inside he wrote rhino. Drew a circle, rhino. So the teacher wants to meet the beast. The teacher wants to meet the beast. When I was thinking about that, I thought oh, I thought about that. That children's book, Where the Wild Things Are. You know that? You know that book? Where the Wild Things Are? The beasts all come out. And the kid, the kid, like, makes friends with them. Makes friends with those beasts. He puts on his wolf suit. He puts on his wolf suit as kind of armor, right, or something. I, this is not my generation. I did not have this book when I was a child. So, so uh, others of you did. I did not have this book. Wish I had. But I thought of that book. Well, I think I've made my point and the time has gone on here. So um, maybe that uh, is enough. And uh, if you have some questions or a few comments, uh, we can have those now. I didn't realize the time had gone along so far. Oscar. So that was just uh, a lovely talk. Thank you very much. Actually, I never have understood that koan until tonight. And 
really appreciate your explanation. And uh, I'm thinking of, and what came to mind when you were speaking was, um, oh, so many things. One thing was something I heard you spoke recently um, about um, no being fails to completely cover the ground on which it stands. And the other was um, Leonard Cohen's forget your perfect offering. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, I see a yellow hand. I see Biba's hand. And then I think I saw Todd's hand go up. Yeah, uh, Biba, can you go on mute? She unmuted, unmuted, but we don't hear. We don't hear. Oh now we oh, see now Todd. We see Todd. It's because uh, I don't know how that why that's happening, unfortunately. I think she unmuted, but I can't tell. No, she's still muted. Oh, Biba, you're still muted, apparently. Okay. Am I good now? <laughs> Can you hear me? Did the sound bar go off? Yeah. Oh. Okay. They can hear her. Yeah. We can hear you. I don't think they can hear you, Biba. Oh, okay. Okay. But I guess not the people in the room. Mm -hmm. Now. There you go. She, Biba, are you talking now? Can the group hear me? Ah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So mine's just quick. Um, I think what stood out to me the most is. Of course, like you bring your your most imperfect self. That's the best self that you could bring. But what you said about how it doesn't have to be your latest insights is like the biggest takeaway for me. You know, I'm an artist and I feel like some of the new music that I make, it's like, should I put this on these projects or should I release my old stuff? And it's like, yeah, we'll save that for later. Like you, you guys will be okay with my older insights. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, I... Yeah. Sorry, I have an airplane going overhead. I don't know if you're hearing the airplane, but. Uh... You know, Jim, thank you so much. What a wonderful talk. Um, I also thought I never understood that go on until tonight. One of the came up for me is that every time I speak, I want it to be perfect. So I have a hard time sharing in a group and not feeling like, oh, you know, regretting what I said afterwards. Um, but what I do want to say is, I was thinking about Lou just today, so it's with him um, for a number of years. And um, he made a big impression on me as he did on a lot of people. I actually find it hard to believe that he ever said no to a speech. Um, <laughs> a 
Lou, Lou Hartman was, I don't know if you guys knew, but before coming to Zen Center, uh, he was kind of the Herb Kane of radio in San Francisco. He was a, the top announcer on KCBS radio. And he was blacklisted during the McCarthy era because he refused to uh, take the fifth. And he had actually been a communist. So he, I don't think, ever met a story that couldn't tell better than anybody else. And he made meticulous notes. Um, for, he wrote all of his speeches out, all of his talks. You could say they were talks, but they were really speeches in a sense. And so um, I think he felt as he got older that he didn't understand the Dharma. And, um, but boy, just one last thought about Lou, because you shared about him. Um, when Norman Fisher had his stepping down ceremony, um, Mel Weitzman said of Lou that he was the glue that held together uh, City Center, and, and he really was. Um, I apologize for those of you who don't know him, but it's a shame uh, if you didn't know him. And thank you for bringing him up, Jim. Thank you, Todd. Well, I didn't know him as well as I wish I had. Uh, I didn't, um, I didn't, I think I knew a little bit about his radio background, but uh, that was long in, in his past when I met him. Uh, so, and I, and I didn't, I didn't spend that much time in the city because I, I was so eager to go to Tassajara, but, um, and, and he didn't come there, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that Norman uh, told that story about him, uh, given what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Larry. Yeah, um, I think the teacher, the way I understand this um, uh, koan or uh, whatever, uh, was the teacher's response, then bring me the rhinoceros, but the but the it, uh, the koan didn't end there. The koan uh, added the uh, student's response, which was, I think, if I'm correct, he said nothing or he did nothing. Yeah, he had no he had no reply. He had no reply. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious whether that no reply, what the you know. What is what is that saying? Um, is the no reply his imperfect response, or is the no reply he didn't know what how to respond? And I guess maybe the ambiguity gives you the answer. I don't know. Yeah, well, often I think I, my my impression, you know, and we can speculate. My impression was, or my projection onto the story was that. Um, the attendant didn't know what um, Yangon was driving at. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't get what. Um, he didn't have a, a you know an in the moment ability to respond to such a outrageous um, uh, request. And, uh, and maybe that was his imperfect response. Yeah, and that was his. That was his imperfect response. His no perfect doubt. Response. His imperfectly perfect response. He stands for us. Yeah, and he stands for us, and 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 thanks to and thanks to his non-response, then these four other teachers could essentially answer for him, 
and uh, what they would what what they would have said in that situation. And uh, yeah, you're welcome. There's a lot of stories that are like this, and sometimes the teacher says, "You ask me now." Yeah, that's true. And who knows what Yan Guan would have said. Uh, he was a fairly, uh, uh, read, reading some other stories about him in the, um, uh, in Andy's book, um, Zen's Chinese Ancestors. Uh, it sounds like Yan Guan was a fairly stern guy. And he, um, he didn't, he was kind of a no BS kind of teacher. Um, there was another story that a teacher came to him and, and, and asked him a number of questions about the Dharma, which he then, which he then um, responded to. And, and then he said, uh, you know, since you've been here uh, in my place, Yangguan said, you've been here in my place, um, I haven't really had a proper chance to be uh, host. You know, I haven't had a proper, uh, oh, and then the, and the guy said, oh yeah, well, let, let's do that. And he said, well, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you go, you know, have some rest and come back. And uh, so the guy came back in the morning, was brought back by his, his attendant. This other teacher was brought back by the attendant. And the Yan Guan said, I, I asked you to bring me a Zen master and you've brought me a temple maintenance man. And the visiting teacher was, flabbergasted so it's pretty stern guy you know pretty in that case pretty you know no bs you know he didn't really want to discuss the dharma he wanted he wanted someone coming to show who they were show themselves and it's hard to do it's hard to you know really show yourself in every moment we're distracted right we're distracted by a million things thinking about this thinking about that we're thinking about we're thinking about well, how to we're thinking about well, what did they think of me and all these things right we have all these thoughts and so to, to be just there with brendan or oscar and, and just have a real in the moment it it's a kind of rare thing you know and when we have it it's something that when those kinds of interactions happen, they get written down, they get written down for people to, to enjoy and, and, and think about and, and, and appreciate for centuries to come. When, when, when there's a sudden like meeting. So that's what those, that's what these stories are. A meeting that, well, you know, that happened and wanted to happen and there was um, spontaneity. <laughs> there was spontaneity. Yeah, Cody. You don't need to. Oh, and was, yeah, that's good. Um, just kind of 
going off of piggybacking off of what you were saying, so many distractions. I think it's so so easy to be or to feel that you're imperfect. And everybody brings it out with one another sometimes. You know, oh, you know, they always do this, or they're always like that, or even to yourself, oh, I always do it this way, I'm no good at this, or things like that. Um, such a radical idea that there's this perfectness in you, completely unadulterated and completely there every moment, and that you don't have to strive for it. It's a radical idea, but so alleviating, you know, and I, I think about that, you know, when when you were talking about that, the image that came to me with that radical kind of trust too, that trust in this, in this wholeness is uh, the image that Dogen gave when he says, you know, when most people sit on their cushion, you know, they're like a, like a fisherman and they, you know, they send their fish with a hook and have some bait on it. The way that we fish is we have a straight hook and no bait. And that that's kind of speaks to that, like, deep trust. I've got no bait. <laughs> My hook is straight. That's trust. <laughs> and then, yeah, I feel that on the cushion, which is nice. So, thank you. Yeah, so in response to that, and because it's getting late, um, let me just leave you with this. There's something I was going to say, and I somehow got off my notes, but um, it occurred to me that, you know, when when we're sitting, when we're sitting and breathing, what what is what is missing when you're breathing? When it when you're breathing in and out, could there be any improvement at all? Could there be any is there anything missing at all? Is there any improvement that could happen? It's your breath. It's your breath. It's just your breath. In and out. And there's nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. And when you're sitting out in your, in your posture, yeah, you might adjust your posture sometimes too. But it's your posture. Is your posture? If it's if it slumps a little bit and you adjust it, the slumping is your posture. The adjusting is you. And and it can't be any it can't be any better. It can't be improved upon. So it's your breath. It's your posture. It can't be improved upon. There's nothing lacking. Nothing missing. 